Welcome to the Win the 16 podcast presented by Pygon One Consulting. This is your go-to podcast on optimizing your day. The Win the 16 podcast features discussions on leadership and coaching, personal and professional development, as well as discussions on the modern work culture and engaging employees in hybrid and remote work environments. Your hosts are Dave Pygon, president of Pygon One Consulting, and his brother, Dr. Bud Pygon, anesthesiologist at the University of Illinois at Chicago. Thank you for listening. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Win the 16 podcast. As always, thrilled to have you listening today. Thank you to Carrie and the production team for all your work behind the scenes. We appreciate you. Today, I've got a guest today. Dr. Bud Pagan will not be with us. Uh, and I hate to even call this gentleman a guest because he's been a friend. And I know I say that often, but this guy really has been a friend for years. I remember watching him grow up the ranks in corporate America, and he's just blown it out of the water. He's impressive. He's an ex-college athlete. He's a brilliant guy. He's a smart guy. All the respect. Um, liked him the first day I shook his hand and met him. Today, I have the Pierre Simon Jr. on the phone. Pierre, welcome to the Win the 16 podcast, buddy. Great to have you. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for having me. That's, that's quite the opening. Super excited to be here. <laughs> well, we go back. And you as the guru, not, you used to be my guru in sales. Now you're my guru in marketing. Tell me one thing that I said wasn't true. Nothing that you said was false. But you did leave out something, and that was one of the first sightings I had of Dave Pygon. You were doing upside-down push-ups in the gym at a work meeting. I think it was my first work meeting uh, back when we worked together 16 maybe years ago. And I looked to my right, and I saw a gentleman doing upside-down push-ups as well as running with his hands on the treadmill. It was at that moment I knew. This um, guy is serious. <laughs> yeah. We all have our issues, my friend, and that's my issue. So <laughs> I still want to live though I'm 100 and a good 100. I get people asking, like, you really want to live that long? I go, yeah, because it's going to be a healthy 100. Like, I'm yeah. going to feel good. I'm going to still be going great. So uh, thank Absolutely. you for bringing that memory up. Pierre, you'll do a better job, bud. You know, I'm, I've been trying to get you on the podcast. The schedule is just having coordinated. Um, you're an author. Besides, I mentioned how, you know, you're a guru in sales, uh, vice president of marketing. Um, you're one of the few people I know, Mark Jacobson is another one, so I have to say is my friend, but you're one of my other friends who's done a TED Talk, which is totally awesome. I'm probably going to ask <laughs> you about that, so get ready. Yeah, I'm ready. Um, here, why don't you tell everybody your background a little bit? I think that you could do a better job, so why don't you hit it, my friend? Yeah, thanks, Dave. I, I think the first the absolute first thing I have to say is I'm a father. Uh, and I always say that first now because uh, I thought I knew my identity until I became a father. I think becoming a father not only showed me my identity, but it, it really showed me my purpose. Uh, and it brought me back to, and it consistently brings me back to all of the teachings and lessons uh, that I received from my greatest mentor, which is my father. Um, and so being a father has truly made me who I am today. So I always want to start with that. Um, uh, Work-wise, I'm the vice president, head of global marketing for dry eye and surgical, surgical glaucoma. 
you know, I've worked in ophthalmology for about right at about 16 years, first job out of college, actually, back before I even knew how to spell ophthalmology. Still have some trouble with that from time to time. <laughs> uh, but that's what I do during my day job, if you will. And, and and I do that because I truly love what I do. And that's being a part of the coalition, which brings sight to the world. You know, for me, vision is so important. And it's really because of my upbringing. I remember when my grandmother started to lose her vision, uh, she would often say that the greatest, or I should say the worst thing about losing her vision was not being able to see us continue in the life that she knew we would continue. Um, and that's why I got into the, into ophthalmology. That's why I'm still in ophthalmology. And that's why I love it to this day. So though I have a title of vice president, head of global marketing, I truly say and feel Working in eye care is something that's truly a passion for me and something I love doing. Um, I'm a two-time published author, uh, a best-selling published author. I'm super excited about that. That's a. I used to think it was a pastime, but I am a believer in you have to feed into and nourish the talents that you are given because there is a chance that you have those talents because they can change the world and influence the world positively. Uh, I did do a TED Talk. Uh, and I have another coming up in 2024. That was a phenomenal experience for me. And so I say I'm a TED talker. Uh, I was inducted into that amazing fraternity of TED talkers. And that entire experience was something I will never forget. And then I, just to round it out, I, I would say I'm someone who who believes in true diversity and ensuring that if we are an ally in every aspect of that word, that ally without action is simply a fancy four-letter word. And so I'm an ally of all things diversity. And my number one goal is to is to change the world and positively influence the world, leaving it better than when I came. So that that's who I am, Dave. And I, I know we'll get into a little bit more of that in the oh, future. We're gonna get into a lot. I do have to <laughs> say, uh, one of your humble guy, makes it's why you're a special guy ex-college division one football player that's where your competitiveness mm -hmm. comes and is still there um i want to make this clear for our listeners because i didn't know this some of our listeners might becoming a guest speaker to do ted talks is quite a feat mm -hmm. it is not you know knowing somebody even though that helps but I even remember, besides talking to you, Pierre, uh, another friend of mine, Mark Jacobson, who spoke, um, has one of the most watched ever TED Talk Xs. Uh, when you listen to Angela Duckworth, who is the guru of grit, when she talks about it, how, yeah, before you even get on there, you better be ready because they are going to grill you. They are <laughs> yes. going to rip you apart. They are going to coach you, criticize you. Um they aren't going to put you on there unless you're special and <laughs> they are going to make you work and get that talk to be basically impeccable. So yeah. I just want people to know how difficult it is to get on there. And once you get on there, you've got to pass all these tests and delivering it. It is quite feat because when I had inquired about it, one of the questions someone said to me was, you better be ready. Mm hmm. Because it is a commitment. It is almost it is. a full-time job. So I just 
kudos to you. I thought the audience should know that this is just not famous people who go, oh, I'm going to be on TED Talk and they sign you up. No, they work you, coach you uh, <laughs> to do it. So kudos to you. Uh, your book, let's start off with that. Uh, I did tell you, I'm going to ask you to give us a few marketing tips today because I need it. And I think some of my audience, The Flight okay. of the Phoenix, I just finished chapter 3210, mm-hmm. which I told you, I kind of implement, I kind of do that already. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I've got some questions asked, but why don't you tell everybody that one first? Because now I probably piqued their curiosity. The 3210. Yes. yes, The Flight of the Phoenix, Living Forward. Um, there's a chapter in it, uh, Dave, as you were talking about, 3210. And the chapter started, it was, it was December 7th, 2007. And it was my final collegiate football game. And here I was having played or practiced or done something with athletics or football for nearly two decades. And as the game was coming to an end, the defense had stopped their offense and and I play defense and I'm on the sideline and and I'm looking up at the clock, Dave, and I literally see the clock ticking down three, two, one, zero. And it was at that moment where I realized all of these years of blood, sweat and tears, weightlifting, eating, putting on weight, shedding weight, summer workouts, two a days, three days, four days, uh, summer camp. A winter camp, study hall, practices, pulled hamstrings, torn muscles, all of these years that have gone into something that I absolutely loved was coming to an end. And and the moment was so surreal for me, Dave, that it was almost as, as if the entire world had gone away and it was just me and that clock. And I realized that everything in life especially those things that we love, including life itself, that clock will tick down to zero. And the absolute only thing that we can control is how we live those tickings of the clock in whatever part of life that we're living. And even though it hurt, you know, to know that this was my final collegiate football game and and likely my final football game ever, You know, you hear that phrase, left it all on the field, even though it really hurt at that moment watching that clock tick down to zero. I felt such a sense of peace because I knew that I had left it all on the field. I didn't save any in the tank. I finished on empty. I mean, we ran in the in the heat of Texas until you couldn't move, until you had cramps, until you vomit. I mean, you we literally left it all on the field. And so. That chapter is dedicated to every aspect of life. The clock will tick down to zero. But if you live a life in a way where you give it your all, and that doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect in everything, but it does mean you set a plan to say, I'm going to do all I can to live the best I can in this situation. When that clock metaphorically clicks to zero, I think you can rest easy at night. I love that chapter in the book. I love many of the chapters, No Regrets. The mirror, even though that's not the title of a one chapter, but I love that looking in the mirror. I'm sure we might get into that. I I try to live like that. I don't call three, two, one, zero. You and I had this discussion, I don't know, a month ago or a couple of weeks back. And I sometimes I'm not perfect either. 
But when I reflect back on some things that we all get caught up with in, it's nonsense. Yeah. Right? It, it's, it's not part of the 3-2-1, right? Because mm-hmm. that's going to happen, and we should be spending time in those productive, and not that the world's Pollyanna and everything's great, but the things that we can control, how often, Peter, do we have people in our lives professionally or personally that get into that what I call the non-controllables mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and stay focused on the non-controllable it's it's interesting Dave because you know in this corporate world that we live in and I have goals just like probably the next person but if you ask several leaders as they ascend to the top as they're standing on the pinnacle you ask them all what would you have done differently? Though their answers vary, you know, a, a little bit, most of them say something to the tune of, I would have spent more time doing X, Y, and Z. Whatever that X, Y, and Z is, I would have spent more time with family. I would have spent more time being patient and, and present in the moment. I would have spent more time traveling. Well, the truth is, is none of us own a DeLorean. And so we very rarely can put trash in it and go back to the back in, into the past. And so why is it that we wait until we're standing atop the mountain to figure out how would I have lived my three, two, one, zero better if I could go back? And that's why we have to constantly remind ourselves while we're making the climb up the mountain. Hey, it's perfectly fine to stop right here and live present in this moment and make sure I'm doing everything I can in this moment to optimize where I am. So and I I think our younger millennials, mm-hmm. yeah, our Gen Zs, uh, and then the next group that's coming, I think I know a lot of our the other generations, baby boomer, baby boomers, uh, generation Xers who mm-hmm. I am, I'm 53. I sometimes hear them for lack of a better word uh, getting getting on those generations and criticizing for certain things. And one of the things that I always stick up for those other generations is there's a lot of things if you listen to them, they're right on. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are right on. I always say to people, when we're, Pierre, you and I, when we're 70, and by the way, you look great. You look like you still could play <laughs> football, by the way. Maybe safety uh, now, not linebacker. Uh, maybe kicker. Maybe yeah. kicker. <laughs> you are in better shape than most kickers, my friend. You look great. <laughs> Um, we're 75 and we're visiting, we're not going to be talking about that decision that was somewhat minor mm-hmm. 20 years ago or 22 years ago. What we are going to be talking about is how is my health? Mm-hmm. Can I still function reasonably? When Pierre calls me and says, hey, I'm going to be in town, let's grab dinner. And my, my first reaction is going to be, I'm jacked. I can't wait to see him. Or am I going to be that 70-year-old who's like, oh, I don't know, it's a hassle. I got to go pick him up at the airport, and I'm tired. I mean, what life do you want to live in? It starts now, and I'm not preaching to anybody. I'm just talking to my friend here on the podcast. But that really, when when I read that chapter, it made me reflect on some of the things that a lot of us are doing. We're going in the right direction. We just need to do more of it. And you would say... Yeah, I think we need to do more of it, Dave. And and I like what you put in Win the 16. Uh, you put 
taking time, something that you weren't good at initially, which is taking time to journal uh, and then taking time to reflect. I think it's so it's so critical on our journey because we have to really reflect and ask is is it was that really that important for me to spend two, three weeks thinking about consistently over time? Will that matter in three months? Will that matter in a year? Because we spend so much time focusing on things that won't actually matter in the grand scheme of things that we lose those tickings of the clock that the truth is we can never and will never get back. And it's unfortunate that sometimes it takes us so long to get to that point where we realize that. But the good thing is, it doesn't matter how long it took us to get to that point. As long as we're at that point today, we have a chance. As long as we're still breathing, we have a chance. And that's what I love about life. Hey, man. I mean, that you've been that way since I've known you, though. And that's probably hence why I liked you from the day I shook your hand and met you. Because you reek of that right off the bat. It doesn't take long. Um, before we get into other stuff, this leads me to another question. Are you ready for it? I'm ready, Dave. Hit me. All right. All right. I feel like you're psychology, psychiatrist right now here. Uh, actually, you're like my psychiatrist. Let me change that. That's this. Do you ever have people either you meet or now know you because you live this lifestyle? I don't want to say they're cynical about you or dislike you but they don't necessarily embrace it or love that mindset yeah and and I, and I know exactly what you're saying dave because to your point it's not that that they don't like me or they're cynical specific to me but i have accepted a long time ago that not everyone will be able to live a life of whatever happens life will continue and I will figure out a way to get through it. I always, you know, we hear the old adage of uh, glass half full or glass half empty. You know, I always say, whether you see a situation as impossible or I'm possible, either way you see that situation, you are correct. And, and I say that because, and even in, in when the 16th book that I read, it talks about the mindset because if you have a mindset of this situation is impossible, you are correct. And, and I say you're correct because your mindset will influence your perspective. Your perspective will influence your lasting narrative. Your lasting narrative will influence your actions. Your actions will influence your outcomes. And it's it's the same thing if you flip it. If you If you look at the same situation and you say, okay, that's a difficult situation, but I'm possible. It's gonna influence your perspective, your narrative, and then your actions, you're going to say, I'm possible, so let me create a plan. And then I'm going to implement that plan. And then I'm going to measure that plan and see this was successful, this wasn't successful. I need to make adjustments. And it all starts with what is that mindset. But for people who think like that, you will have to get to a point where you will have to accept that not everyone is capable to crossing over and thinking like that. Now, it's our job to still show them, hey, let me help you out with some tools and tips and, and techniques that can help you adapt your mindset. But I won't get bogged down by people who won't accept that mindset. No, I don't even try. In fact, I yeah. get people ask me and then I'm kind of thinking like, this isn't your cup of tea. How long do we have to stay in this conversation? Right. <laughs> because I, 
um, if they're interested, that's one thing. But when I know it's kind of that, I'm like, we don't have to talk about this. Like, yeah. You know, we don't, this isn't your thing. It's totally, I respect you do you. I, a lot of, I've got a friend, she says that all the time. You do you. Yeah. What I, here's where my struggle on this concept is I can't put in the same bucket of stress and concern if a family member has cancer and is mm-hmm. sick. I'm sorry. Tough day at work. Can't put it in the same bucket. Yeah. And what comes across is my watch out for me is my own self-awareness. I have to make sure I still show some empathy. Yeah. Because my empathy for the sick family member is over the top. Yeah. This other stuff I kind of think of, come on, like, what are we talking about? Yeah. And and I think it's. I think it's a, a a matter of, and I think you hit it on the head on the head with it's empathy and being able to understand the perspective of whoever we're, we're we're talking to. And I think one of the fallacies that people make when they're cynical about the idea of life will go on, we'll figure it out, is they believe that what we're actually saying is it's going to work out. It's going to we're going to win. That's not what actually the outcome is. The outcome is I'm either going to win and achieve or I'm going to lose and learn. But either way, whether I'm winning or losing, I'm learning something or I'm winning something. And so it's 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 really a change of thought when it comes to life, because we all are faced with different challenges every day. Again, it gets back to how you choose to live those tickings of the clock. That's what will determine your legacy. Oh, it's brilliant. You said it so brilliantly in my book, when the 16, I believe it's in there. I talk about it when I, when we'd have problems, you know, when you and I were working together at Alcon over the years and, you know, we, we get all so there's a realignment or displacement mm-hmm. or new whatever. And I used to always say, and I still believe this. And in my leadership talks or trainings, I still say it. I said, you know what, if you look your people in the eye and say, everything you're saying is fair, all I can tell you is I don't know how it's going to work out, mm-hmm. but it will at some point. I just don't have the date or the time, and mm-hmm. I don't exactly know the how, which I know with your personality type, that's really hard. Yeah. But I'm just telling you, believe me, it's going to. We're going to look back on this in six months, year, three months. I don't know what the time. In fact, let me rephrase it. You know what? We're not going to look back. Because it won't even be that big of a deal later on in life. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying we don't embrace it right now and it's not an issue. All I'm saying is clear heads, clear hearts, clear minds, all that stuff. It'll probably get us to a better resolution quicker if we can get to that place. And for Absolutely. some people, that's really hard. But you said it well. Mm-hmm. OK, The Flight of the Phoenix, uh, your book, by the way. You're talking about when the 16, you're going to bring a tear to my eye. So thank you for the plug <laughs> of the book. I'm enjoying it, but, man. It's a good one. Bless my heart. All right, Pierre. So you wrote the book, The Flight of the Phoenix. Yeah. What was the catalyst for? Why? Yeah, it's, it's interesting, Dave, because people always ask, like, how did you know you wanted to be an author? And, and the truth is, I never had a desire to be an author. Um it was there there was an event that occurred when I had moved from Texas to California, Northern California. And I didn't know anyone. I didn't have any family, had very few friends. And I woke up one morning 
and I drove from San Mateo, California down to Santa Cruz. And I was there um, on the pier having lunch just by myself. And I witnessed an event, this which was the catalyst for the book. And it's a long story, but I'll give you the, the, the nuts and bolts, if you will. Um, essentially, a, a fisherman had had just brought in his catch for the day and there he was cleaning his catch for the day and as he was doing that a band of seals a flock of seagulls basically they were there to pick up the scraps and remains so the fishermen would fillet the fish cut off the tail cut off the head keep the fillet portion of the fish and then throw the head and the and the tail and bones to the seals uh, as well as the the seagulls and so I'm kind of watching this happen. And, and here I am like, oh, wow, this is awesome. Shout out to the Lion King. It's the circle of life right right in front of me. Man catches the fish, cleans the fish, uh, gives the remains to the seal and the seagulls. Well, Dave, as I'm watching this, I see these two little small seagulls standing outside the fray as the large seagulls and the large seals, they fight for the scraps from the fishermen. And there I am you know, really encouraged and, and hope that one day, w one moment soon, these two little small birds, they'll get their little piece of uh, a fish head. And, and, you know, they're waiting patiently and patience is a virtue. And and sure enough, the fisherman finished cleaning the catch. He leaves and the, the seals go away. The seagulls go away. Now I'm looking at these two little birds that have been waiting patiently. They hop on the boat and they start to kind of bounce around and try to find, you know, a fish head. And sure enough, boom, Dave, there it is. They found a fish head that had clipped the bow and landed in the boat. And I'm like, this is it. Patience truly is a virtue. This is awesome. I love to see it. And they started kind of <laughs> eating their fish bird. <laughs> and I'm like, this is amazing. And while they're eating this fish head after waiting patiently, down swoops a massive seagull, flaps his wing, takes their meal, and flies away. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, well, this is absolutely terrible because all we've been taught, Dave, is patience is a virtue. What we haven't been taught is the true virtuous nature of patience is when you've been patient. And their situation continues to spiral. What you do then will determine your virtuous nature of patience. And sure enough, long story short, one of the birds flew away. He was squawking and flew away. And what that second little small bird did next was the catalyst of this book. He saw his situation. He didn't feel sorry for himself. He hopped back on the boat and searched for another 10 minutes and ultimately found another fish head. But he learned from his mistake. He took it underneath the boat where, no, where he could not be seen, and he enjoyed his meal. And that was the catalyst of the flight of the phoenix. Wow. That's it. That's all <laughs> I got. Nothing. I, you can't make that up. Mm -mm. Can't uh, make it up. That, that is authentic, my friend. Wow. <laughs> uh, thank you for sharing that. I didn't know that story, so that was great. Yes. Um, all right. I always ask people this one. Favorite chapter in the flight of the Phoenix? Oh, you're going to test me here, Dave. Favorite chapter. Mm. Okay, let uh, me ask you. We'll come back to that. Okay. That's like asking people what their favorite children is. I get it. <laughs> um, I can. I only have one. <laughs> is there, is there, um, 
in a chapter that is, I don't want to say most important, but is right up there in the message that you're communicating and why. Yeah, Dave, I, I will say there is a chapter uh, called The White Side of the Cloud. And I was probably in year seven of writing and editing in this book. I was writing it for about 10 years. And I'll never forget, Dave, I was I was on a flight to Atlanta uh, for work. And there I was editing in the book and writing some stuff. And I look out the window and the sun was hitting the clouds and the sky in the most amazing way. And it was just a kaleidoscope, Dave, of beautiful colors, just an array of colors similar to that of the, the tail of a phoenix. Just absolutely phenomenal. And I'm watching this and I'm thinking to myself as I'm writing, this is the most amazing thing that I have witnessed. This is beauty at its finest. And I'm witnessing this and writing at the same time. As we begin to descend down to the airport to land, we go through the clouds, we come out the other side, and it's as gray as the day is long. Wet, rainy, wind, gray, dark, the absolute inverse of everything I saw on the white side of the cloud. And what struck me in this as I was writing was perspective and timing is everything. Because the truth is, I had not moved that much from the white side of the cloud to the gray side of the cloud. I have not moved that much, but depending on my perspective at the time, that determined what I defined as beauty, what I defined as amazing, when in actuality, I was virtually almost in the exact same spot, just slightly removed and slight different of perspective. In that same chapter, I, I, I highlight once that I was riding with some teammates years ago, and I don't remember what we were talking about, Dave, but I'll never forget this moment. We pulled up to a stoplight, and whatever we were talking about was the absolute funniest thing that has ever existed on planet Earth. I was laughing so hard that my stomach was churning, almost to the point of strangling myself. I was laughing so hard, tears coming out of my eyes. In that exact moment, I looked to the left and I saw someone in their car crying and bawling her eyes out. Now, I didn't know what was going on in her life, but the white side of the cloud hit me again that in this moment where I am the absolute happiest, the pinnacle, the apex of happiness, that there is someone else in this exact moment who's probably in the pinnacle of, of their sadness. And that chapter is so important to me because it forces me that in times of greatness and in times of sorrow or turmoil, remember not always to allow my current perspective to drive my thought process on if this is a good or a bad day, but mm -hmm. stay in the moment, stay present. Look at everything in totality. And so that's why I love that chapter so much. Wow, that was good. That was very good. How enlightening, to say the least. Um, so how do you uh, apply the story of the Flight of the Phoenix in your everyday life? How does it impact you? 
Yeah, you know, people will hear me talk about the book or they hear me when I'm doing any any public talks and they often misconstrue my sentiments and think, oh, well, you live on cloud nine. You live on, you know, everything is golden. And the fact is, is that's just not the case. Life will always life, if you will, for every person on planet Earth. I think what the Flight of the Phoenix does for me on a consistent basis is it is a reminder for me. It's a lifestyle reminder that just like the mythical creature, the Phoenix, had to die to itself in order to be reborn better, there are things that we're going to face in life, whether it be a death in the family, a loss of a job, a health risk or a health scare. There are things that we will face in life that will be extremely difficult for us. But the flight of the phoenix teaches us it's okay for it to be difficult, but what you do in that difficulty will determine how you operate outside of that difficulty. So create a plan. It's okay to accept that it's difficult, but create a plan. Execute against that plan. Enlist a coach or a mentor who has lived that life, who can give you advice, who wants nothing from you but everything for you. Adjust and review the implementation of your plan and be perfectly okay knowing that you're going to make mistakes, you're going to have successes, but remember the white side of the cloud. And in either side of the cloud, as long as you're moving forward, you're making progress. And moving forward doesn't always mean that you're winning, but you are willing to accept even the losses and learn from them. That's what it does for me. It's a daily reminder, a lifestyle reminder. Mark Twain, when I was writing Win the 16, I was just studying other authors, not to even put them in the same realm as myself, just, just to learn a little bit mm-hmm. um, how they write, why they write. He, and one of, the, one of the things that I took that he said was, whatever you write, you will become. Mm-hmm. And that's what you just said. In a yeah. lot of ways. And I can tell you, for me, when I start, ah, what, what am I looking for? Well, things are hard. Something's tough. Maybe I'm in the pool swimming. I'm doing a tough challenge. I always think as I start to slow down or it gets hard or tiring, I'll start saying to myself here, you're the win the 16 guy. You can't slow down. <laughs> and, right. and I was listening to you. When you write a book, everybody out there listening and you don't have to write a book. It could be your journaling you're doing. It could be um, just a little bit of writing that you're doing. 200 words. Once you put on paper, I don't want to say it's your manifesto. That might be too much, but it kind of really puts a line in the sand of who you are and what you stand for. Is Spot that fair? Here, would you say you kind of put yourself out there. Cause I know when I struggled, cause I, and you know, Nick Rella well, Nick in New York who's a great friend, mentor of mine, buddy, ex peer, put yourself out there, tell the stories because when you're writing, you're like, how deep do you go? Right. You and I are, you know, this isn't the Kardashians or a memoir. <laughs> yeah. um, what do we put out there? What don't we put out there? And that's what happens when you do this. So, Thanks for sharing that. One chapter that I really, I enjoyed your book and I'm not done with it. I still have a couple left. I'd love for you to comment on this because I think it might bring value to people. Hope, and if you don't want to do it, just tell me, I'll pivot to my next question. 
Can you tell talk about the no regrets chapter for people? You'll do a better job than I will of it. I really enjoyed that chapter of yours. Yeah, Dave, it's, it's interesting because that chapter, you know, when someone hears no regrets, and I actually talk about it at the beginning of the chapter, that this chapter isn't dedicated to bungee jumping, skydiving, uh, and doing <laughs> things absolutely insane. Uh, though I have been skydiving, uh, I will probably won't go anymore, but I start off with that this chapter is not dedicated to that kind of living. The chapter is truly dedicated to a mindset of so often people say that I want to do something, but we allow fear to actually hold us back. Now, here is the thing I talk about in that chapter when it comes to fear. Fear can either hold you back or it can accelerate you to heights that you've never known you could actually exist within. I'll give you an example. If there is a rabid dog chasing you, I can assure you that because of that fear, you will likely run faster than you have ever run in your life. And I, and I cite that example in the book because we cannot allow fear to control us, but we have to know how to utilize fear itself in order to get to where we want to be. No regrets. That chapter is important to me because I realize, and it ties into three, two, one, zero, that life itself is fleeting. I remember when I started writing this book, I was 25 years old. Well, 13 years later, that went by in a flash. Here I am talking to you about the book, but 13 years went by fast. What I don't want to do, Dave, is when it's all said and done, to have those regrets that I talked about most executives have. Oh, I wish I would have done this. I wish I would have, I wish I would have traveled here. I wish I would have spent more time with family. My grandmother, she's 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 much older now and she she watched us grow up. But now, Dave, every chance that I get, I make sure that I take that opportunity to call her or take or take that opportunity to go see her and just sit and talk about yesteryear. Because I understand all things bearing equal, how life works, and I'm not going to have her forever. And so no regrets. And I, and I started this years ago. It's living a life where every single day you wake up, you identify who is it that I want to be? Who is it that I want to be remembered as? What is the legacy I will leave on this planet? No one knows the amount of money Martin Luther King had in the bank account. No one knows how many purses Maya Angelou owned. You don't know that stuff, but you do know the impact that they had on the world and their impact will last forever because they lived a life of no regrets. And that's the impetus of that chapter. I really enjoyed it. It it struck a chord with me when I read it. And I got exactly what you were saying. Yeah. It, I mean, you and, I, you and I are way more aligned than not in most things. But I, I that one jumped out. And I think that one will really bring a lot of value to people when they put their arms around it. And for all the readers, because I know this book has been a great seller for you. Yeah. Uh, before I forget to ask you, The Flight of the Phoenix, where can they purchase it? I got mine on Amazon, but is there anywhere else you want to share? Yeah, they, it's on Amazon, it's on Barnes uh, and Noble, uh, but also my publisher, Friesen Press, that's F-R-I-E-S-E-N-P, 
P-R-E-S-S dot com. Um, they can also find me on all of my ads and socials at Mr. Pierre Simon. That's M-R-P-I-E-R-R-E-S-I-M-O-N. So I have all the links there. Several places to find or they can just search the flight of the Phoenix living forward. And there I am. Boom. There it is. The flight of the Phoenix. Um, do you ever get people who say, I want to do that, but I don't have the time? Yeah, I do. Often I talk to people about writing and, and they say time. And again, it gets back to when the 16. And I love that this question came up because time is something time management is something that was discussed. And that is whether that and I actually just had the conversation with my son two days ago. Uh, he said, oh, I had a hard time waking up this morning. I said, well, did you or did you choose to go to sleep when you chose to go to sleep? If you wouldn't sleep two hours early, would you have woken up earlier? And so the thing I love about time is we're all allotted the same amount every single time we all wake up. We're allotted X amount of time. The choices that we make determine how we it, it, how we ultimately optimize that time that we're given. And so what I tell people is the truth is everyone has a story and most people have have a story that can assist someone else. It is highly advantageous and encouraged to write down a piece of your story because there's a good chance that there's someone who's dealing with that. And it doesn't mean that you need to sacrifice everything else in order to get this story down. Dave, there were times I told you I wrote this book for 10 years. There were times that I, I, I committed to my commitment. I'm going to write something every day. There were days that I wrote pages. There were days that I wrote one sentence. There were days that I picked up the pen. I didn't have any inspiration. And I just wrote my name because I was sticking with my commitment to write every day. But when you make that plan and you say, I'm going to commit to this because I have a story to tell, which will help someone. You make that plan, you commit to it, and you find the time because the time is there. Yeah, I, I was well said. This comes up often, not only because I teach this in my training classes and facilitate it. I always tell people, you're looking at it just a little, little bit upside down, and that's this. If there's something you really want to do, let's let's cut to the chase here. Uh, let's throw out, no offense, just, I would say you seem like a great woman or man. You seem amazing. With that said, some of the things you're saying, well, I wish I had time. I don't have time. Some of that is just garbage. Like you mm -hmm. don't really want to do it, which is fine. But there are a couple things that you're like, no, I really want to do it. All right, let's work together. We'll find it. Mm -hmm. And it's not that you have a time management problem. You have an opportunity. Yeah. Because everyone want to say, oh, I've got this one uh, executive. They need you because they have problems with time management. They're terrible. I say, you know, let's reframe that for them because there's nothing attractive about, hey, Pierre, I know you have a problem with this. I got someone who's going to help you. <laughs> I got an opportunity for you. There's things you want to do. I've got someone who's going to help you with that. Yeah. It's a totally different way because we it's it's not a problem. It's an opportunity. And if there's something you really want to do, we'll find a way. To find a way. Like your son. We'll find a way. Maybe we get you to bed 15 minutes earlier so you can get up 15 minutes earlier. Maybe no we find, we'll find something if we look. Um, so getting back to the story, um, 
you kind of touched on this, but I want to give you the chance to explore it even further. The importance of telling this story. Yeah, um, it, it's important for me, Dave, because when I think about the state of even just the world, I think about there's a chapter in the book called uh, What Is Versus What If? And how, you know, I start the book, the chapter off with, isn't it funny how two letters determine how we view life? And those two letters, F and, and S, the ends of what F and what is, um, and how those two letters have such an impact or such control over how we view life. And when you look at what if, it really speaks to here is what you can't control. What if this would have happened? What if I would have done this? Uh, what if this happens? Here are the things that you truly can't control and, and are generally out of your or your realm or your space of control. But if you understand and you transition that time, energy, and focus to what is and what you can control, oftentimes we will learn from the mistakes of the past, live a better present, and forge a better future. Uh, and everything that I try to do and why this book is so important to me is because I don't want to enjoy life when I retire. I don't want to enjoy life when I reach the chief executive officer position. I don't want to become a good father uh, after 20 years of all the mistakes that I've made. I want to learn right now. And everything, when I, when I was in my football career, I didn't want to have my best game, the last game of my career. I wanted every game to be my best game. When I travel the world and I go to this country, I want to truly engulf myself with the locals. I want to eat the local cuisines, listen to live music on the street. Basically, what I'm saying is, Dave, this book is important to me because what the Phoenix did is the ultimate sacrifice to become who it was supposed to become. It literally literally prepared a bed for its ultimate demise to blaze into flames in order to, re be, to be reborn stronger, larger wingspan, to be able to fly faster. And sometimes, and this is the message of the book, Sometimes we have to die to our desires. We have to die to our obstacles and be okay with moments of learning, moments of losing, moments of being faced with turmoil. Because if we can fight and stay strong and go through those moments, all the learning lessons, the strength we'll get from the muscles tearing down, yet building back up. I think about what you talked about in your book, thinking you were a decent swimmer and having to be told very painfully, you're a terrible swimmer. <laughs> yes, having sir. to hear that and understand I can learn how to swim better. That is the purpose of the book. And that's why I love it so much. It can teach us how to live life in a way where we do live with no regrets. Well said. Well said, my friend. Uh, motivation behind influencing people is a big part of your life. Yeah. What's what is your motivation behind influencing other people and how they think uh is it is it your desire uh you're a good guy everybody that knows you the people who we know and i've said i was going to have them have you on my podcast oh he's a great guy right you won that award you've got it uh you've built that 
equity with people. Uh, why, why is that motivation to you to influence people and how they think? Um, what is it? Yeah, it started with with my my first mentor, and it was my father. I witnessed my father, um, who didn't graduate college, uh, and, and worked his tail off to ensure that his family had everything that they needed and at least some things that they wanted. He was truly the, the quintessential leader of our family. But more importantly than that, Dave, I saw my father consistently sow into other people. I saw him put people first and positively affect people's lives, which ultimately fed into he, who he is and was as a person. Mm-hmm. And it made him a better father. It made him a better person. And it truly enriched him where he thoroughly enjoyed and enjoys life to this day. And from the, from the time that I was my earliest memories when I was six years old to even yesterday when he texted and said, hey, we're going back to the shelter uh, for the holidays. Um, we'd love to have you apart and just sending that message. But the thing that stands out to me is a lot of people do it on the holidays. But knowing that my father every Wednesday He's at the shelter, just talking to people, sewing into people, listening to them, sharing any pearls of wisdom from the workforce that he can share. It not only benefits him, but it benefits the world. And so that's that's what I was brought up in. And so now that I am of age and, and I'm adult, I'm, I'm an adult. Now it it is transitioned to something that I was brought up in. That's something that adds adds to me, adds value to me to be able to teach young students how to transition from high school to college, to teach those and mentor those how to maneuver the corporate ladder, to teach executives how do you tie diversity to the bottom line and why it's good for your company, to be able to add value to others and ultimately leave this planet better than when I came in as something that fueled my father, as something that fuels me, and now I have the opportunity to create the next generation of that in my son. You can feel it when you're, and, and I'm sure people are getting that, but just talking to you, you can feel that, that passion, that energy, the authenticity behind it. Yeah. Uh, and it's real. It's impressive. I told you we would, there's not a chance in, hey, with you and I together, we were gonna <laughs> only going to go 30 to 40 minutes because that's just not going to happen. Um, and I have way more questions to ask you. We'd be here forever. And our, the tech team's going to kill me on this side. Um, first of all, phenomenal job today, my friend. Thank you, you Dave. Delivered. Uh, you were kind enough to share about the flight of the Phoenix Living Forward, the book. I hope everyone can get it. If they haven't read it already, I mean, it's been out a while. It's a bestseller. You've done a phenomenal job. Uh, it's a it's a fast read and it's a high quality read at the same time, in my opinion. What else would you like to share today, Pierre? And maybe you're done. Maybe you're like, Dave, I gave you my 50 minutes. I got to get on to my other life. Um, is there <laughs> anything else you'd like to share to our Win the 16 podcast listeners? Um, whatever it might be before we sign off today. Yeah, Dave, I, I'll say um, on the back of the book, The Flight of the Phoenix, there's a photo that was taken um, in the Blue Mountains of Australia. And 
and, and as I sat, there it is, as I sat atop that cliff, which was extremely scary, by the way, and I did sit on my buttocks and scoot to the edge. Uh, as I sat on that cliff, I began to think about where I came from, a, y- a young a young male from Fifth Ward, Texas. Uh, we didn't grow up with, with with everything that we wanted. And like I said, I had the greatest dad in, in the world. But we did grow up from very humble beginnings. Um, and I sat there on that cliff and the quote came to me. And that quote is, look how far you've come from the point you thought was the end. And that quote is so important to me, not only because I was looking out of a 2,000 foot drop, but the quote is important to me because in everything in life, we will all get to a point where we don't know how we're going to get out of this and that this can be X, Y, and Z, whatever it may be. We can't see ourselves getting past this situation. We've lost our job and we have a family to feed. We have a health risk and we don't know what we're going to do. Relationship troubles may come. Financial troubles may come. Look at what's going on in the world right now. We've all, we will all get to that point where we feel as the proverbial end, if you will. What I encourage everyone to do is in those moments, remember, you've been here before. There's been a time before where you've thought, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. I can't see myself getting out of this. And if you remember that technically you are out of that first situation, look how far you've come from the point you thought was the end. It doesn't make the climb any easier, but it does make the next step that much more bearable. Remember where you've come from and you can imagine yourself atop the mountain. I love the picture because I have the book right in front of me and read it. So it's it's a beautiful picture. And you have to look closely to make sure that it's my guy, Pierre, there. <laughs> um, yeah, it's definitely me. Yeah, no, it's you. It's you. I can see it. You know, the other thing I was reflecting is we all can learn and observe, let's say leadership. Let's go down that path because you and I are such mm-hmm. proponents of that. We can learn from the people in our lives that were great leaders and steal from them. A lot like your dad. Mm-hmm. What a great leadership example, father figure, all of it. We could go on about what a great man and what he did for you and how you were able to steal so many of those things from him. Mm -hmm. I grew up, I didn't have a dad, no dad. I can learn from the things I didn't have, didn't Mm -hmm. get, some of the bad things that, you know, not to get dark here, but we all can learn. And I guess that's my takeaway from this is whatever your situation is, it all depends how you want to look at it. Mm -hmm. Tough situations, you can learn from them. Now, We all know at times it's okay to cry. Mm-hmm. It's okay to feel sorry for yourself for a couple of minutes. You just don't want it to last for a long period of time. Right. We're not saying be an emotionalist. What we are saying though is all these challenges that come, we can take them on in different ways. And what you inspired me today, what you said here at the end was, for all of you out there that are trying, maybe going to do something different, maybe a challenge, whatever have you, You've won so often in your life, and it's worked out some way. Maybe not exactly how you anticipated it, but it has worked out. 
Mm-hmm. Why is this one not going to do it? Right. I didn't say it was easy. I didn't say you wouldn't have some unforeseen challenges. But you'll get there. You just might yeah. get a few bumps going on, which you know what? You're awesome. You've had bumps. You're going to have more. You'll find a way. So the year, Simon Jr., my friend, you were nothing less than fantastic today. <laughs> you inspired us. You motivated us. You made us better. You taught us things. And you've given us all an opportunity to buy your book, The Flight of the Phoenix Living Forward, um, to help us in our journeys. Thank you for being the human you are. Thanks for being a great guy. And um, you need anything, you're a, we're a phone call away and vice versa, we'll come <laughs> at you. Uh, yes. We got a lot of things you and I need to do together. Um, so to my audience out there, thank you so much for listening to Win the 16 podcast. We appreciate you listening to us and uh, we'll be sure to be back really, really soon. And to everyone, win the 16 and have a great one. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Win the 16 podcast presented by Pygon One. Please follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and all major podcast formats. Episodes will be released every other Wednesday at 7 a.m. Central Time. Thank you and go win the 16.